most parents never considered tragedy striking their family during a vacation. Or at least they didn't until 2007, when the news of Madeleine McCann's disappearance made international headlines. Three-year-old Maddie vanished from the apartment her parents were renting in Praia de Luz, Portugal. This was arguably the most publicized missing persons case in European history. The media storm surrounding the disappearance would ruin lives, and 14 years later, we still have no answers. Welcome to Fact and Suspicion. I'm your host, Dan, here with my co-host, Ben. And tonight, we are discussing the disappearance of Madeline McCann. So, uh, Ben, have you ever heard this one referred to as the the European or the British Mara Murray case? I can't say I have. I mean, I've, I've heard it compared to Jean Benet uh, quite a few times, I mean, for obvious reasons, but... Yeah, I think it's probably more similar to Jean Monnet as well, but I've heard some people call it, you know, like the European Mara Murray. Uh, and I'm guessing just because, you know, Mara Murray was so big, at least, you know, it, as far as like in the internet age where people were trying to figure it out and everything. Right. And then this was obviously the most publicized case that that I know of in Europe, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those, that family had so many uh, camera crews just following them around everywhere. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah, they are basically being trailed by paparazzi, if I remember correctly. I know that a lot of people have mixed feelings about their guilt, and, and we'll get into it about, like, you know, what happened and the suspects and everything. But um, I thought we'd just, you know, let's go ahead and start with the story now. Maddie was born on the 12th of May in 2003. Her parents had actually been trying for five years to have a child unsuccessfully. And they uh, turned to IVF and then they, you know, Kate got pregnant and they had Maddie. And then about a year after Maddie was born, they ended up having twins just naturally. Oh, non, so, non in vitro? Yeah, non in vitro. That's luck. Which, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you say luck, but now, you know, they, they were trying to get one, now they've got three, right? <laughs> But um, so they got their hands full and Maddie was, I mean, you've seen the picture. She's a really cute, really sweet little girl. Um, she had this toy called a, a cuddle cat that she went everywhere with. She wouldn't put this thing down. Uh, she also had a very distinctive eye condition called coloboma. Yeah, I think we've all seen it. I mean, you can't miss it if you see a picture of her. It looks like her iris is bleeding or pupil rather. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, what it is is uh, it's a condition where uh, generally in the womb the eye doesn't in entirely form properly, mm -hmm. and uh, it can be different parts of the eye that are affected by this. But in in Madeline's case, um, it was it was part of the iris that didn't form pupilly, uh, excuse me, didn't form properly. So it did look like she had sort of a a keyhole shaped pupil, maybe. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was the pupil. I corrected myself a minute ago. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um. Well, it's, it looks like the pupil's bigger, but it's just because the iris wasn't completely formed. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But now, now moving on with the story, um, Kate and Jerry took their family uh, on a vacation to Praia de Luz, Portugal. Uh, it's in a region of Portugal called the Algarve, which you know, sort of a, a beach region. Um, they took Maddie, who was three, and then uh, the two-year-old twins, Emily and Sean. 
and they stay at a resort called the Ocean Club. And this is not like, it's not, you know, just sort of a resort with hotel rooms. It's sort of these big apartment complexes where you can go into your own apartment uh, through the outside of the building. It's not like you, you go in through an interior hallway or anything. Right? Gotcha. Now, the McCanns have some friends uh, vacationing with them. And uh, they, they would go to a tapas restaurant every night. And that's why these friends are known as the, the Tapas Seven. Oh, okay. And, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that they, they called them that. But they're, the, the names of them were Jane Tanner and Russell O'Brien. Uh, they were a couple. And then you have David and Fiona Payne, Diane Webster, and Matthew and Rachel Oldfield. And um, like I said, they, they would go to this Tapas restaurant every night. And when they did, they would leave their children asleep in their rooms. Um, and every like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, someone would get up and go check on the kids. Wait, n- no babysitter? No babysitter. Uh, that seems incredibly irresponsible. I, I mean, I would agree. And obviously in hindsight, it was absolutely terrible. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't do that myself. And this is, it's going to get, it's going to sound worse here when I'm explaining this, but the um the resort actually did have a service to watch kids at night. It was it's called the night crash, um, which at first when I first heard that they like, called it a crash, I was really confused because I've always you know heard of a crash as being like a like a like a manger scene, like a nativity scene, right? Right, but like in in Europe, uh, crash is actually referred to as like a daycare, something like a place where they watch children. Okay. Right? So that's why I, I was confused when I read it. it was a night crash, but that's what it was. It was like a, they would, they would watch kids at night while their parents go out. But, uh, you know, the McCann's and their friends didn't want to use this service. Why not? I'm not sure exactly why, but like some people have, you know, have said that they didn't want to get their kids like off of a sleep schedule. So like they're used to going to, to bed early. So they, you know, instead of going to bed, they'd, you know, take them to this night crash and they'd stay there till like 11 or midnight and they take them back home, and they'd be all woke up and all that kind of stuff. They get them off schedule. I mean, when you compare a sleep schedule to a kid waking up with their parent not there, or, I mean, something much, much worse, which eventually happens. I mean, I don't know. The, that doesn't really make sense to me. And, and I agree. I agree. I I don't think I would have used the night crash either, but I probably wouldn't have been. I probably would have, you know, stayed in the room with my kids, yeah. right? Um, now that's, that's me. And obviously like, you know, we study like missing persons cases all the time. Right. So, so we like, we're, we're going to be paranoid about that kind of thing more than, more than other people, but I still wouldn't, I would not have left my children there. Now I'm not trying to, I don't want to cast judgment on them because they did this too much. I mean, because obviously their friends did it as well and none of them thought there was a problem with it. Um, but yeah, I can't. Like, here's the thing, though. Right? You've got a, a three year old and two two year olds, right? Yeah. And you said, like, if they wake up, I mean, I've got a four year old, and sometimes she wakes up when I'm like, you know, just down the hallway and she flips out. Yeah. Right. So I can imagine these kids waking up and no one's even in the apartment at all. And, you know, what's, you know, you've got the three-year-old is the, you know, the one in charge out there, I guess. Like that's, it's going to be a terrible situation. How right? far away were they from the rooms? Okay. Now they were only about 50 yards away. And the, um, the, the restaurant, like they, they especially requested a table, uh, toward the 
the edge of the it's outside place right mm-hmm. they request a table like toward the very edge of it so they're in eye shot of the um of the apartment now i don't know i've, I've heard a lot of conflicting reports and i've seen different reports in different articles where one says they could see the back door of the apartment and others say they could not see from their table i don't know but they were definitely within eye shot of the building it was only about 50 yards away across uh across sort of a courtyard but it could have the door could have been ex- obscured by some some trees and shrubbery, or they could have been able to see it. I, I don't know for sure. Right. But that back door on the patio is the one they left unlocked, so that um, they said they didn't want to go in out the lock the front door and go in and out the front door because using the keys and unlocking the door would wake the kids up, and they wanted their they wanted their friends to be able to go in that back door as well to check on them. So they didn't lock the doors because they thought the keys might wake the kids up? Yes. Their priorities just seem completely out of whack. I would agree, but I'm going to say that if they could see that back door from the table they were sitting at, that may change some things in my mind as far as how irresponsible leaving that back door open would be, unlocked rather would be. Right. Maybe a little. It still makes me very uncomfortable to think of leaving kids alone like that. Well, yeah, still, obviously, I wouldn't leave them alone because I'd be worried they'd wake up. But, I mean, it's almost like me sitting out in my backyard and, you know, my daughter's in the house asleep. Because you're not that far away, right? I suppose you could probably rationalize it like that. But, I mean, I can see why they would think that. Right. You're still in a foreign country, though, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not now, just that it's a foreign country. It's a place that you're, you know, you're unfamiliar with, right? Yes. Yeah. Though, you know, and from what I learned about the case, though, prior, prior to Luge, they, they did not have things like this happen, though. You know, they, they didn't really have children go missing. So maybe the McCanns were just under the impression this was a very safe place as well. I don't know for sure, but obviously they made a mistake. Now, now, what happened is, and, and I'll go into a more detailed timeline here in a minute, and I'd say most people listening to this are, are familiar with what happened, but for anyone that's not, um, on the uh, night of May the 3rd, uh, Kate and Jerry were at the Tapas restaurant with their, their friends, and again, every 20, 30 minutes, someone's going to check on them. About 10 p.m., Kate goes to check on the kids and finds that Maddie is missing, right? Okay. And, you know, then you know, they start looking for her and they're unable to find her. But that's the gist of what happens. And it escalates. It turns into a huge missing persons case. Maddie's never found, you know, it, it's a, it's a big, it's, well, it's a media circus basically. You right? said they started looking for her. Do you know when they called the cops? Yeah. Well, let me, let me get into the whole timeline of it and, and we'll discuss exactly the, the time frame for all thing, all those things right now. So on the day of May 3rd, uh, the McCanns are out, you know, enjoying their day in Pride de Luge. I, I don't know what all they were doing. Probably go to the beach, stuff like that. But they arrive back at their apartment sometime between 5 and 6 p.m. Uh, and at that time, you know, they start, you know, feeding the kids dinner and sort of getting them calmed down so they'll be ready to get in bed. Uh, now, Jerry at that time leaves to go play a game of tennis. And... He comes back about 7 p.m. At that point, Kate's pretty much got the kids ready for bed. So they get them laid down, read them a bedtime story. 
And by 8.30 p.m., Kate and Jerry are meeting their friends at the tapas restaurant. Now, about 9, Jerry goes to check on the kids. And he does say that he notices the door is slightly more ajar than they left it. They left it just almost closed, with just you know, just a little bit of the door open. Mm-hmm. And he said it was at about like a 45-degree angle. He thought that was strange. But he looks in on the kids. They're all there. They're all fine. And he pulls the door shut. So it's just another, you know, it's just a little crack. Okay. okay. Now, um, at 9.15 p.m., their friend Jane Tanner says that she noticed a man carrying a small child who was uh, blonde and wearing pink pajamas uh, in the direction away from that apartment complex. Uh, the child was barefoot. And the pajamas were, you know, kind of similar to the ones that Madeline was wearing. Right. You know, obviously, she didn't, she didn't know that at the time. Yeah. But later on, she realizes that, you know, when they talk about what Madeline was wearing, that these were similar pajamas. Yeah, right? I'm pretty sure I've read about this siding on a couple of different occasions. Yeah, the, it, a lot of times it's just called the Tanner siding. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, that was at nine fifteen. Now at nine thirty p.m., Kate was about to go check on the children, and Matthew Oldfield was going to go check on his children as well. So he said he tells Kate just to you know sit down and he'll look in on on her kids as well. Um, now he goes in and he says the door is uh, you know sort of ajar and it, it's it in his description it is more ajar than what Jerry left it ajar right. Okay, so is the implication there that somebody had been in twice? Is that what the what they're thinking? Uh, you know, honestly, I cannot say that. Uh, I think what. What they've thought is that maybe someone had already come into the apartment and, you know, when Jerry, Jerry came in to check on everything, maybe uh, the person hid and then, you know, came back out after Jerry left. Okay. Possibly. Um, but as, as I said, Matthew Oldfield says the door is, you know, more ajar than Jerry said he left it. Now, at the time, he didn't think anything about that. This is all just things that they discuss later and realize that don't add up. Right. Okay. Um, now, Matthew doesn't actually lay eyes on Maddie. He said that he just sort of glanced in where the door was open, and he could sort of see the bed that the twins were in. Uh, but, you know, he didn't hear any children up, awake, or anything. He did hear a noise that sounded like one of them rolled over in their bed. So he thought everything was fine, and he left without actually opening the door and looking in. Um, that seems a little odd. It, well, you know, in retrospect, it does seem odd, and you you think, oh, man, why didn't you look in to see what was going on or see if all of them were there? But when you think about it, at the time, he's probably not thinking about something along the lines of an abduction, right? He's probably just thinking he's checking in to make sure the kids aren't awake and crying. I mean, I, I can certainly understand his perspective. I mean, that's reasonable. But come on, it seems like you'd at least, you know, lay eyes on all the children, particularly when you told the the child's mother, hey, just sit tight, I'll check out them, right? Yeah. No, I understand that, but, you know, in his mind, he's probably checking on to make sure they just weren't awake. And also, you know, I would think that he's probably thinking, you know, what if I do open the door and look in, I might wake them up and they're going to be scared and say, oh, why are you here? Where's my mom? Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I can understand that. That Just this whole situation makes me very uncomfortable with the kids being there by themselves. I I agree. I agree. Now, now, uh, Oldfield, he did get a lot of bad attention for this later. Like some people thought, oh, maybe he took the he took Maddie. Right. Would he have time to do that, though? 
it doesn't seem that he would have no. I, I don't think so. And, you know, of course, he got a lot of criticism, too, because he didn't lay eyes on him. But I, I, to him, I think this was just an honest mistake. I, there's obviously nothing nefarious behind that as far as I can tell. Right? So with the current uh, with the current thinking, um, is the suggestion that Maddie was already gone and that she wouldn't have been there had he checked? It, it's possible or it is possible she was gone a bit later than that. It's hard to say. But with the fact that if, if he is correct, the door was more open and Jerry was correct that he did pull the door shut. It seems that Maddie was probably already gone at that point. Okay. Um, now, let's move on to 10 p.m. Uh, around 10, a family that was not there with the McCanns say they noticed a man carrying a small blonde child uh, down the road toward the beach. Was that the same sighting as the Tanner? It seems to be a different sighting. Um, we're, we're not absolutely positive, but Jane Tanner seemed to think they were going a different direction. And obviously this was 45 minutes apart. Now, some people could, somebody may be you know, mistaken on the time and somebody might even be mistaken on exactly which way they were heading because at the time, no one's thinking that there's been an abduction, right? Right. And I'd say a lot of these people hanging out at the Tapas restaurant have been drinking. So, you know, they're probably not just being super aware of everything that's going on around them. Yeah. So we we can't say exactly uh, if these weren't the same sighting. They could have been, or these could be two separate sightings. And, and memories uh, from eyewitness sightings are, you know, tend to be highly fungible anyway, so. Yeah, it's especially when you're out having a relaxing night, having a few glasses of wine, I would imagine, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, and details like that take on different contexts depending on whether the abduction had already happened or not. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, now, uh, also at 10 p.m., Kate uh, gets up and she's going to go check on the kids. Um, now, when she walks in to the apartment, she notices that the door is open too far. And uh, she's walking up to it to go check on the kids. And she says that the door blows shut. Uh, right before she she reaches it, and which is really weird, right? How, yeah. how would that happen? So she opens the door. The window is open, well, that makes and sense, Maddie though. is is not in her bed. And she she flips out. She runs all around the apartment looking for Maddie. She looks to see if maybe she's in in their bed, and you know, in in Kate and Jerry's bed. She's not in there. She's not in their bedroom. She opens all the cabinets, looks everywhere in the apartment, can't find them. And she's, she's, you know, going crazy. Can't find Maddie. She runs out and gets uh, all of her, her husband and all of her friends from the, the restaurant and has them come start helping look for Maddie. Uh, now, they do inform the hotel and ask them to call the police. Um, but, you know, they, they don't call them. It seems that the resort doesn't call the police immediately. I don't know if there was some miscommunication there or maybe the resort just wanted to try to find Maddie. They thought she'd wandered off and they didn't want to get the police involved because they didn't want any, you know, bad attention, you know, bad press or anything. I hope it's the miscommunication and they weren't worried about publicity because. I agree. I agree. Um, but finally, they do, you know, they do go back to the hotel and say, why aren't the police here? Please call the police. And they do get the police. Um, and the police show up around 1110. And this is, you know, this is over an hour after Kate notices she's gone. Right. And it's been over two hours since anyone's laid eyes on Madeline at this point. Right. right? 
now the police the show they have they have two different police forces in uh, in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is the GNR, which stands for uh, Garda Nacional Republicana, basically the Republican National Guard. Okay. Uh, the GNR is sort of just uh, like they're like beat cops on the streets. They deal with you know small crime stuff like that. They arrest people, but they don't do major investigations, right? Uh, all the investigators are part of a police force called the the Policia Judiciaria, or Judiciara, excuse me, which we will call the PJ. But this is basically like the Portuguese FBI, and they handle all investigations. Now, the GNR really isn't equipped for this. I mean, they are equipped for looking for a child that's gone missing, but they're not equipped for anything like searching other people's apartments or questioning people or um, putting up roadblocks, right? That's the the PJ's jurisdiction there. Okay. But after searching for a while, the the GNR officers on site decide, well, we have to call in the PJ. This is over our heads. And the PJ arrives about 1 a.m. So at this point, you're four hours out from mm. the last time Madeline was seen. And, um, you know, they come in. And they're going to start investigating. But at this time, you have to understand the scene has not been preserved, right? Uh, people have been in and out of this apartment all night because you have the McCanns and all of their friends that are searching for Maddie. You have most of the resort staff searching for Maddie. You have a lot of other guests that have come to help searching for Maddie. And a lot of them are coming in the apartment saying, we looked here. We haven't found her. Where should we look now? In and out. Just probably, you know, over 100 people in and out of this apartment since then. Just so over and over. So the crime scene has been anything but preserved. It is. It's 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 not preserved at all. Uh, and now when the investigators arrive on scene, they do notice some things um, that don't really seem to make sense with the abduction. Or at least according to the lead investigator at the time, uh, he's a man named Goncala Amaral. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, he was actually removed from the case later on, uh, and he did write a book about it. But he uh, did some interviews on the Netflix documentary, and in, in that interview, he did say that when he arrived, that shutter was only open a few inches. And of course, Kate had described it as being open well, not possibly all the way, but open pretty far, right? Do we know which one was correct? We don't know for sure. Uh, he also says there was no sign of forced entry, which th- that seems reasonable to me because if someone did come in the window, there is no reason they would have tried to get in the front door, you know, tried to break in the front door. So that makes sense. Now, was the window not um, locked? We don't know for sure. I, I should address this, though. Um, according to the resort, um, when their, their employees go in to clean the room during the day, a lot of times they would open those windows while they're in there cleaning. And sometimes they'd shut them again without locking them. So it's very possible this window could have been unlocked without the McCann's ever knowing it. Right. Yeah. Right. Now also Amaral said that the blanket that Maddie slept with every night, um, that her 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 parents said that, you know, they thought that if she had gotten up and wandered off, she would have taken that blanket and her her cuddle cat with her, but they were still in the bed. Amaral says that this blanket was still folded up neatly and laying at the head of the bed, 
And he also said the sheets had not been moved. The, the bed was still made. Now, this, though, I did see photos of this, and that's not the case. That blanket was not folded up. It was it was laying on the bed, but it was, you know, it was obviously unfolded, sort of laying there in a pile. And the sheets were turned down like someone had gotten out of the bed. Now, Do I don't know, know if that someone... had been properly preserved, though. Is it is it possible that uh, they had been moved after the after he saw them or was he definitely lying? I don't know for sure. It's hard to say because Amaral does. I mean, it's very obvious that he is not the biggest fan of Kate and Jerry. Right. Right. And, and early on he started to see them as suspects. So he could be lying. The things could have been moved around. It's really hard to say. Um, But that's what he said in the interview. And I think it's important to note that here. Now, the McCanns felt like the the PJ weren't doing enough. They weren't moving quickly enough. Um, now, they, the PJ is checking surveillance footage. They're interviewing people around the resort, uh, around the town, asking if they'd seen anything. Uh, but they, they never did set up any roadblocks, right? They didn't. Uh, Would that have mattered, the, though, given the time frame? It's really hard to say. See, um, the Amaral actually said that, you know, w- when he got on the scene, it had been four hours since he was seen Maddie, right? Yeah. I mean, like, what would a roadblock have done at that point? I, I really don't know. I mean, at the at the time, you know, or, or rather in that location, uh, you could probably, I think you'd be in Spain in an hour and a half from then. Oh, so you're in wow. another country in an hour and a half. Within like eight hours, you could, you could be in Africa. You know, you could be in Morocco. Yeah. So... I'm not sure what a roadblock would have done at that time, but, you know, Kate and Jerry felt like there should have been roadblocks. I mean, it's understandable. Um, Their parents have a missing child. I mean, they're going to want to see things happening. Right. And, you know, to be completely honest with you, I don't disagree. They probably should have set up roadblocks just just in case, right? Because maybe someone has taken Maddie somewhere close. They're going to try to move her. It wouldn't have hurt to set up the roadblocks, right? Right, right. And maybe they got um, spooked when everybody was looking for the kid and just were trying to lay low for a while. Yeah, right. Um, another really big problem here is that at that time, Portugal did not did not have a sex offender registry. Well, that's unfortunate. Now, so, I mean, they didn't really know where to start then looking for somebody that might harm a child, right? Exactly. B- because in, in the U.S. and I imagine in most countries around the world, when a child goes missing, the first thing you do is go to the sex offender registry Go around to every one of these people, see if they have an alibi, see if they're acting suspicious, check all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And that they couldn't do that. Um, so there's another big problem. And, you know, the McCanns feel like this is just moving too slowly. They feel like the PJ's not doing enough to try to find Maddie. They feel like they're they're not, you know, putting their full effort into it. So they get with the media and they go to the BBC. And, you know, they try to get some media attention on this and it works. Um, This turns into a media frenzy and stations and newspapers all over Europe pick this up. And at the time, according to the BBC, the British newspapers could sell 30,000 extra copies per issue just by putting a picture of Maddie on the front cover. 
dear lord. Well, that's an that's, incentive. Yeah, that's how big this was, you know. And it honestly, it ended up, I mean, it, it got a lot more people involved in the investigation. UK authorities got involved. And obviously, there's a lot more pressure on the Portuguese authorities to do more and to be appearing to do more, right? Right. But it seems like there'd also be a heavy downside to that. I mean, if if if, if the presence of a story about Maddie is causing that much extra sales, it seems like they'd just be incentivized to print whatever BS you know they, they hear about rather than substantiating things. Seems like it would it's just a recipe for misinformation. Well and that did happen, honestly. That that there was a lot of misinformation out there. Mm-hmm. And you know, anytime the media got wind of anything, it was it was in the papers immediately. So you did have a lot of stuff happening with this. Also it it, it kind of backfired on the McCanns as well because at that point they couldn't do anything without just paparazzi following them anywhere they went. Right. Right. So, so you have some issues with it as well. Now, um, DNA samples uh, weren't even collected until after that apartment had been cleaned and rented to other people. Ah. So I have no idea why that's the case. So was that a, do you think that was more of a, a, a mistake by the police or could that have just been a resource issue? It's got to be a mistake. I don't know why it would be a resource issue. It, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, probably early on, I mean, obviously very early on, they thought that Maddie had just wandered off somewhere. They're going to find her. Right. right yeah. But, you know, after a few hours, you'd think they'd start collecting these samples. And another big problem is that scent dogs had been brought in, you know, very early on trying to get Maddie's scent to track her somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't, they weren't able to track her. But, you know, these dogs have been all over the apartment as well, sniffing everything. So that's also, you know, a problem for any kind of DNA evidence. Yeah. And with all the people that have been in there, it's just, it's a nightmare for DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Cadaver dogs and blood dogs weren't even brought into the apartment either until it would have been over a month after the disappearance before that ever happened. Wait, well, what dogs were the... Oh, okay, so those were just the dogs that came in to, to get her sent for the search, right? They were just search dogs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they yeah. were just trying to get her sent to, to try to track her. All right, that, that threw me off just for a second. Yeah. And, you know, these are just all, I guess you could say blunders, Right. Um, and you, you have animosity already between the Portuguese authorities and the McCanns. Um, actually, when Amaral uh, interviewed uh, in, in the Netflix documentary, he openly criticized the McCanns for going on television. Um, he said that you know going on TV and trying to get media attention on this uh, puts pressure on the abductors. <laughs> And and makes them, you know, maybe they're going to do something stupid because they know you're after them. Like they wouldn't know that police are already after them. Exactly right. He also said that it was unwise for them to uh, discuss uh, Maddie's eye condition and how it's a very unique appearance. He said, well, that's basically a death mark because if, if you say that on TV and then they realize that, you know, her eye looks like this and it's so unique. They'll know they can't pass her off as someone else, and they'll have to kill her. But that makes no sense. I mean, first no. of all, anybody who's ever seen a picture of Maddie, it's—I mean, it's very prominent. That feature. There's yeah. no way they could have missed it. 
No, no. It obviously, as soon as you kidnap her, as soon as you look at the child, you're going to see that. This is a very distinctive mark. It's not like they're going to be watching the news and say that and say, what? Come here. Let me see your eye. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that That's didn't happen. Ludicrous. But as you can see, it's it's not going well already. Yeah, and I'm sure the McCanns aren't very happy that they're considered suspects, even though, honestly, that's probably kind of reasonable. Right. Well, they were not actually named suspects right off the bat. Well, I, mean, I wasn't talking though, about necessarily formally. I just meant that the police were probably suspecting them, at least in some capacity. I mean, you have to at least exclude them somehow. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. You have to because, well, obviously, the first place you're going to look is the parents. They're the closest people uh, to the situation, and you have to look at them, right? Yeah. But the the first named suspect in the case was a man named Robert Murat. How um, long was this after the disappearance? This was just a few weeks after the disappearance, just a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, now, Murat was a British expat uh, that was living with his mother in Pride Deluge, uh, and he actually lived very close to where the McCanns were staying. Uh-huh. And... Once Maddie disappeared and there was a big investigation going on, Murat showed up and offered to work as a translator for the police because he was fluent in both English and Portuguese. Now, uh, he became a suspect because reporters uh, went to police and said that he was asking them a lot of suspicious questions about the case. So they thought he was trying to like uh, inject himself into the investigation? Yeah, okay. which th- it ha- that happens, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty common. Uh, it's it's very common. Uh, so police actually raided his home. They went through everything, his computer, his hard drives, telephone records. They dug up his mom's yard looking for evidence. Uh, and they really, they did not find much. I mean, that seems uh, like pretty thin evidence to go that far. It, it does, right? They, they did find a connection to a man named uh, Sergei Malinka. And what had happened is apparently Murat had made a call to Malinka at about the time Madeline went missing. Now, Malinka and Murat both say they don't even remember this phone call. They think that maybe he he might have pocket dialed uh, Malinka accidentally uh, because what was going on is Malinka was actually working for Murat. He was building a website for Murat's property business Mm-hmm. And they really didn't even know each other other than that. Okay. But they were both harassed by the media after this. And, you know, obviously they're already basically convicted by the newspapers. Everyone thinks they're guilty. Well, so um, who, who was this other guy that, that having a connection to him would have even been a problem? It doesn't make sense that having a connection was a problem. It's just the fact that he made a phone call to him about the time Madeline went missing. Right. That's really the only connection there. That makes no sense whatsoever. Right, and I mean, I'm sure comes, I've made plenty of phone calls around the time someone went missing. Yeah, right. Well, it it, it turns out. Well, it just as it turns out, um, reports show up in the media that Malinka had been erasing hard drives and stuff like that right before this. But that's not true at all. Like, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. There's really no evidence against these two men at all, other than the fact that you know Marat showed up and was translating. And he made a phone call to Malinka. That's the only evidence against these two people. And these were, you know, major suspects for a while that, you know, the the police, you know, made their lives hell. The media made it even worse. So they had a rough time of it. That'll teach him to be a good Samaritan, huh? 
Yeah. Well, um, we say Good Samaritan. He was probably being pretty nosy, right? Probably. But I mean, I'm sure he was still effective as a translator if he spoke both languages. I'm sure he was useful. Being nosy is is hardly a crime, right? I mean, you can't prosecute someone for a murder because of that. But obviously, these two guys were innocent. Uh, They're cleared eventually. But the next named suspects are the McCanns. And the really the biggest piece of evidence here is the fact that a cadaver dog and a blood dog did hit in the McCann's apartment. That's troubling. The cadaver dog hit in the parents' bedroom and behind the sofa and then again out on the patio. Um, It also hit on Madeline's cuddle cat, uh, but that wasn't actually in the apartment at the time. That was a different place where it hit on the cuddle cat. And the blood dog hit behind the sofa uh, in the same spot where the cadaver dog hit. Also troubling. Yes. And this was pretty much the only real piece of evidence against the McCanns. Now, you have some other pretty circumstantial evidence. One is the fact that it doesn't look good that they they left their children alone that night. Right. No, not at all. Though they were doing this every night and their friends were doing it as well, right? And you, you also have the fact that some of the things that their friends said seemed very convenient uh, for the McCanns. For instance, the Tanner sighting, it almost seems like that was created, uh, you know, to to draw suspicion off of Kate and Jerry. I mean, I can definitely see why someone would think that. Um, but I, I want to go and clarify that now, though, that that was not the case because uh, much farther down the line, authorities did track down the man that Jane Tanner saw. How and can they he, be certain it was the same person, though? Well, when they tracked the guy down, he told them that, yes, he was walking through there at the time, carrying his daughter who was asleep. She'd been at the night crash. Okay. And he actually was able to show them the pajamas she'd been wearing that pretty much fit the description that Jane Tanner made. So, you know, obviously that sighting was not, you know, constructed just just to try to get them off, right? Did they find out whether he was the same, whether uh, he could have been the same person that the other couple saw? Were they able to establish that when they spoke to him? No, it's possible that if they saw him walking a different direction, not toward the beach. But if that man was heading toward the beach, then it very likely was not the person that the Smiths saw. Okay. Now, another bit of evidence against the McCanns is that the cadaver dog and blood dog hit on the vehicle, uh, or their vehicle, their rental vehicle. And at first, it seems like it's very damning, but... It doesn't sound good. The strange thing about this is that this was a rental vehicle they did not get until 24 days after Madeline disappeared. Hmm. I mean, is it possible that they just didn't move her for 24 days because of the investigation that was going on? Is that is that something that okay. could happen? Well, that that was the police working theory on this. But I do have some reasons I don't think that was possible. For one... I cannot imagine where they would have hidden Madeline's body that in this insane search where they looked in every nook and cranny around the resort that no one would have found her for 24 days at least. 
Yeah, that, that's reasonable. But even more than that is at this point, Kate and Jerry have so many reporters and camera crews following them around at every step. I don't see how they could have moved a body without being seen. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, at one point when Kate and Jerry are flying back to the UK, uh, some paparazzi actually uh, find out that they're about to fly out and they buy all of the seats uh, that are left on the airplane last minute. You got to be kidding me. No, I'm completely serious. And they go on the plane and are are filming them and taking pictures of them the entire time. It, It actually comes to the point where the captain had to come back into uh, the passenger area and tell them if they don't stop, he'll have them arrested when they land. So with this much attention, I don't feel like Kate and Jerry could have moved that body uh, this late in the investigation, or, you know, this, this far out, you know, almost a month out. It definitely seems like it would have been difficult though. I'd like to know why the cadaver dog was hitting there. I agree. Now, what uh, I will say, though, I've watched video of of the cadaver dogs smelling these vehicles. Uh, now, this they're in an underground parking garage, and there are several vehicles here. And the handler brings in the cadaver dog, and the the cadaver dog basically goes by every car, sniffs every car, and doesn't hit on anything, including which, theirs. Including theirs. Okay. At which point, the handler brings them back to the McCann's car. Now, the handler has said, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm accusing this handler, but I do want to bring this information out, though, just, just, just to be completely, you know, so everyone will understand exactly what happened. Right. The handler says that he had no idea that this car was the McCann's. However, this car is the only one that had stickers all over it that said, Find Maddie, call this number. Have you seen this girl? Right. Right. So it seems a reasonable inference. Yeah. yeah, that, that's their car. Uh, but he, he keeps bringing the dog back to this car and the dog smells the car right here where he said he points to and the dog walks off. And then he says, no, no, come back here. Smell here. And he smells there and he goes all around the car and he brings the dog back eight or 10 times before the dog finally hits on that car. And he hits on the door. Then he, um, also hit on the keys to that car later on. And he did hit on a few pieces of clothing. Uh, it was a, a blouse and a pair of pants of Kate's. And he hit on a children's shirt. It looked like it was one of the twin shirts. So was the car the only time where he brought the dog back and forth? Were the others like direct hits? The others were direct hits. Uh, the, that doesn't the look car good for the McCann's. No, no. See, the thing about the, the him bringing the dog back that does sound a little suspicious, but at the same time, I don't know nearly enough about how this works. I mean, did that violate his usual procedures? I can't say that it did. I, I don't know, but I know that I've read so many articles and heard in podcasts that when that dog came in, it hit on the McCann's vehicle immediately, and that's not what happened. So it's important that we know that. Okay. That. That dog, he actually was brought back to that car several times. But the other areas were instant hits, right? Yeah, they were. They were instant hits. Now, I'm also going to say, you know, a lot of people think that the Portuguese authorities had some kind of interest in, uh, you know, in the McCann's being implicated in this uh, because, you know, there was some animosity. But this handler, 
from everything I can understand, was not actually a member of the Portuguese authorities. He came in, I believe, from the UK just to use these dogs to search. So it doesn't seem like he would have had a vested interest in this this either, right? Even if the police did, he would have been an independent third party, so. Exactly, right? So I'm just trying to present all sides of this argument because, you know, there are a lot of things to me that point away from McCann's in this situation, but I really get hung up on... uh, on these cadaver dogs. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult not to, right? Yeah. Now, the blood dog actually hit on the, the car in the same spot uh, by the by the driver's side door, and the blood dog also hit in the trunk uh, area. Um, Interesting. Now, I am not sure exactly what would have caused, you know, a cadaver dog to hit, let's say, if Maddie's body had not been there. Um. I've read a lot of articles about, you know, cadaver dogs and how accurate they are and, and things like that. Research seems to suggest they are extremely accurate. Yeah. You know, you, you have like, obviously, obviously the dog can't say this was a certain person's corpse, right? Right. They, they can just say the smell. Yeah. They, they smell, uh, uh, you know, the smell of a dead body. Now, um, there is a lot of different information about how long a body needs to be dead before it's decomposing to the point that a cadaver dog will smell it. Do we have um, a, a decent range on that? I wouldn't say it's a decent range because I've looked up a lot of articles on this. And many articles say that a body would need to be dead for about 24 hours before the dog can detect the scent. But others say it could be as little as two and a half to three hours. I mean, do we know about how quickly decomposition starts after death? I mean, I guess it would almost have to be immediately in some form, but yeah, until it, it's noticeable at least. Well, to the human nose, it would be much, much longer than that. Right, of course. But as I said, I did find, you know, more than one study that said two and a half to three hours, the dog should be able to, to start detecting it. Okay. And in some cases, they would say it was longer depending on the situations, right? But let's so say it, it is well within the timeline that, it, it, that the dogs could have picked it up then. Well... Let's let's look at that timeline as far as the okay. two and a half hours go, right? So, the McCanns were out that day, right? Uh, and they they didn't get back. It was at the earliest when they got back to their apartment was five, right? And at eight thirty, Kate and Jerry were at the Tapas restaurant meeting their friends. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say Maddie's body would have had to been there dead for two and a half hours. If she died right at five o'clock, that would that would put, you know, she'd have to have been laying there until 730 when her body had started to decompose to the point that it would be detectable by the dogs. Right. At which point that gives them one hour to dispose of that body somewhere before they go to the restaurant. Okay. So let me ask you this. Like, I, I get where you're going with this, but is it now again, I don't know how this works. Is it possible that had they handled the corpse? that other things they would have touched would be detectable by the dog. It doesn't seem that way to me. Uh, it does seem like a bit of a stretch, I'll admit, because I mean, we're talking about an odor here. Right. Um, I've looked to see if perhaps like blood or, you know, maybe fingernail clippings, a, a cadaver dog could hit on that. But it doesn't seem to be the case unless, you know, the the blood... <sighs> Maybe like blood that had started to decompose in the body would smell that way, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell. I, I can't find any really good information on that, though. One 
interesting fact that I did find was that two of the the byproducts of decomposition that they they use to train these dogs they they bottle them uh, for for AIDS are called putrescine and cadaverine, mm-hmm. and uh, these two substances are also present in human saliva. Really. Yes. In amounts detectable enough for dogs to hit on it? Uh, it seems to be, yes. Now, that, that's that's what's strange to me, though. Because Wouldn't that mean I've, they would hit just about all the time? It does, doesn't it? Um, but something that I've thought about as far as this goes, and I, like I, this is just a theory on my part. I don't have not found anything to, to support this. But let's talk about Maddie's cuddle cat that she loves so much, right? Okay. That she kept with her all the time, right? Let's say a dog can't hit on saliva or perhaps saliva that has aged for a while if there's a good amount of it. Mm -hmm. I know with toddlers, they tend to get saliva on everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, no question. So a toy that she's carrying around constantly and sleeping with is bound to have a good amount of saliva on it. No question. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that couldn't have caused those hits. Because if you'll remember, the dog hit on that toy. Pretty yeah, much yeah, immediately. Yeah. Like the dog actually, I saw a video of it and it was in the apartment they were staying at later on. Uh, that toy, they'd put it into a cabinet and the dog hit on that cabinet. They opened the cabinet. It got the toy out. Right. And and you did, uh, through research, get some sort of verification that dogs can hit on saliva? No, I do not have verification. Oh, so, so, okay. So we don't. I just have that. verification of two of the major substances that they train these dogs with to send out are in human saliva. Okay. Uh, but it was listed in multiple articles, but it never explained that if that would, could cause a dog to hit on it. So that's just something that was a bit of a stopping point for me because that uh, toy is something that the dogs did hit on. And if you've ever seen, you know, video of Kate McCann walking around, you know, after Maddie's death, you know, what, just anywhere she's going, there's always paparazzi around. She's always carrying that cuddle cat with her. Right. Yeah. So if that cuddle cat did have some kind of scent like that, now, even if it was corpse scent, right? Or if whether it was the scent of the saliva, I don't know. If, if it was corpse scent, it would make sense as to why Kate's clothes may have smelled that way. The keys may have smelled, you know, the dog may have hit on the keys or even that rental car because of that cuddle cat. If it did have the scent of decomposition on it. Um, but that's, that's as far as I can get with that. I don't know. There was a DNA sample taken uh, from the car, though. Okay. Now, this is that rental car from 24 days later, right? And the the PJ actually tells authorities uh, when they get the DNA results back that it is 80% a match for Maddie's DNA. And they say that they're sure upon further analysis, it will be a 100% match. Now, this also seems like that's a smoking gun, right? If Maddie's DNA is in the trunk of that car. Well, I mean, there's a lot of questions I would have having looked into DNA evidence quite a bit. um, I'm not as quick to jump to conclusions on these, but well, let's talk about that DNA evidence. Uh, How large was the sample? Was it from a single donor? I mean, these are important questions. It was a partial sample and they're using an LCN DNA test, right? 
Which is a uh, and, less discriminating test, right? It, uh, yeah. Yes. It's, yeah, it's, I looked it's at that for, one, you know, actually. It's when there's only, for, that's specifically for when there's a small uh, or a particularly small sample, right? Yeah. It's called low count, right? Yeah. I had to read uh, through all this when after doing another case at one point. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's that. It's, it's not as accurate of a test. Um, yeah. It's not like and, an STR test or something right. like that. And they do get several markers that match. But the problem with this is, and and the PJ actually have to retract their statement later on, because it turns out this sample they're testing is a composite of at least three people's DNA. I mean, the, the fact is that, and there's a lot of research on this, composite samples are one of the hardest things to make any sense of when it comes to DNA analysis. Right. They're, they're almost forensically useless. Well, not just that. Let's look at the people that have been in this car, right? You have both of Madeline's parents in this car and two full siblings, right? Yeah. So I would imagine a composite of these people's DNA basically would match any any markers in Madeline's DNA, right? I mean, yeah. if it was a composite of her two parents, you could mark you I mean, could match every marker. Her. I'm saying if it's a composite of both parents, though. Yeah, yeah. It could be, you could match 100% of the markers in that, I'm sure, right? Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, let's also discuss the fact that there are two-year-olds in this car that are full siblings of hers, and if there's one thing I know about two-year-olds, they get their DNA everywhere. They yeah. are, there's saliva everywhere, you could be changing diapers in the car, they vomit, they, there's everything going on constantly that could get their DNA in that car. So that DNA sample is pretty much useless. So, and you said it was a, a really small sample. Yeah, it was. It was a partial sample, and it was a composite of three different persons. Yeah, that's right? that's almost forensically useless. So, you know, that's that's basically a rundown of the evidence against the McCanns. I mean, I'll be um, honest. Even with the DNA sample, the the dog's hitting that that's hard to get over. I agree with you. Like, even if the timeline doesn't seem to make perfect sense, like that's a lot of hits on some very interesting, some very interesting places, very suspicious places. I agree with that, but I cannot figure out with the timeline how it would have added up. So let's say it's a scenario where the parents did it. Is it possible that she actually died considerably earlier than when they said she went missing? Could the could going out to eat have just been a ruse uh, them of them trying to cover up what happened to their daughter? And I, and I'm not even saying in this instance they would have done it maliciously. Like it could have been an accident or something, and they just didn't want to get in trouble. Maybe they panicked. Right. Well, let's let's look at it. Right, like we said, the McCanns were were out that day, and people had seen Madeline while they were out, and they didn't go back to the apartment until at the earliest 5 p.m. So Madeline could not have died before 5 p.m. Okay. Uh, and like I said, if if a body has to be decomposing for two and a half hours before a, a dog can detect that scent, right. that means the body would have had to been in that apartment for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Now, that means she would have had to, if she had died right at five o'clock, her body would have had to have been there until 730. And then they would have had to have disposed of it before... 8 o'clock, 8.30, excuse me, when they met at the restaurant. And then you have the fact that they're just acting normal and having fun at the restaurant right. with their friends, having drinks. 
Yeah, which, I'll admit that that the timeline is it's, and that's that's thin, right? It's it, it would be it seems like it'd be very difficult to do everything they would need to in that time, right? Uh, now, as far as their behavior, I mean, a lot of people seem to suspect that the other people are in on it. So all we know about their behavior is from their friends, right? So that's like that's, that's not as important to me. Well, not necessarily. Actually, they talked to some other people. Jerry especially talked to other people uh, at the tapas restaurant that said he was acting you know, normal. normal. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, other people that were not there with them. Now, I can't say these people aren't people that he had made friends with during the vacation, but someone you meet on a vacation. Unlikely to help you cover up the death of a child. Right. Exactly. Uh, but let's also talk about, you know, would the McCann's cover up something like this weren't they both doctors too they were they're both physicians and if you'll remember um you know they had a lot of trouble having maddie and they Mm -hmm. found maddie to be a real blessing when they had her they you know according to friends and family they very much loved and adored maddie Mm -hmm. um so obviously i don't think they would have killed her on purpose yeah Um, i I think that that's pretty much right out they just no no history of violence in the family. Like, it just it seems inconceivable that they would suddenly intentionally murder their kid. Yeah, but but also I mean, would they cover something up? What would they cover up? Right. Um, I've heard some people put forth a theory that, you know, maybe they were sedating their children to keep so them they asleep could go out, so they could go out. Um, but yeah, if, that, if that that's is probably the, case, the most common theory I've looked at too. I mean, right, what it, little research I've done into the case that is. Well, let's say they they were sedating them, right? Let's let's go with that theory. Okay. Um, the McCanns are both doctors. They're both medical doctors. Okay. Mm-hmm. For one, I don't think they would sedate their children with anything that's dangerous, right? Um, I mean, they would know the risks of anything. They're not going to give them something that would that would kill them accidentally, right? I mean, that that seems reasonable. Uh, and also, if they did, would they cover that up? Um, I feel like with them being doctors, if they feel like Maddie is acting strangely after they give her this, they'll, for one, they would immediately, the symptoms. yeah, they would see the symptoms. They would immediately, you know, contact help and get help. Um, but let's say they didn't notice the symptoms and Maddie just died. Would they even try to cover it up? I mean, obviously it's a good question. Like it doesn't can, seem so. Um, I mean, you could just say, she she got into my Valium. She's done this before. I didn't realize it. We've had this tragic accident, right? So I don't see any reason to cover it up. Uh, maybe if there was some kind of accident uh, in the in the apartment that caused her to die, like you know, like she fell and you know something something happened. You know, obviously that's an accident. Why would they cover it up? I, I don't think they were beating the child. There was no evidence of that. You know, yeah, that seems highly unlikely. So, you know, I don't think they would have done something to her that would have just, you know, killed her. They would have, you know, physically, they would have killed her. I can't see any scenario they're covering something up. I'll admit, you know, as bad as the cadaver dog and the blood dog hit sound, thinking about it is, it is difficult to come up with a scenario where two licensed medical professionals would have let the kid die without calling police or emergency services. Right, but it is really difficult because I think we can, I think we can both agree we can rule out intentional. They didn't intentionally kill their kid. Right, right. And you also have the accusations that the the Tapas Seven are covering for them, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, now I can see someone's friends covering up something for them, I guess. But for one, would you tell seven people? Even if get they, seven you, people, right? I mean, do do you have seven people you think would cover for you if you you know were covering up a murder or a death? No, like I mean maybe three. Even if you trusted these seven people, one of them's going to say something, right? right? I mean, you can't do that. And and the you know the media accused them of having this pact of silence they made to to you know to cover for their friends. But really, I think that's more a matter of the fact that because of you know local law, they're not supposed to talk about the case. So just to be clear, when you say the media, are you talking about like tabloids, or was this actual like a legitimate? Oh media no, this is was... legitimate media. It's... Okay has said things about this, obviously. Yeah, like, real media, right, has said, you know, they have a pact of silence. Or well, whatever real media even means these days, let's put it Exactly, right, yeah. But, I mean, you know, obviously when a newspaper sunk 30,000 extra copies for having an article about Madeleine McCann, they're going to have to put something in it. Yeah. Right? So, you know, they say pact of silence, but that just seems preposterous to me. I don't, I don't see seven people staying silent about something for 14 years. It is difficult to believe, yes. I mean, so, it seems like one of them, even if they would have told seven people, which seems unlikely, it seems like during, I mean, because they were all questioned by police, I assume, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, one of them would have said something. I would think so. But, you know, all these reasons I'm giving here, they're just reasons that make me doubt the McCanns were guilty. Um, but because of those those dog hits... I, I can't say I can rule that out, right? I mean, I'll be honest. Like, you know, I've never known much about the case. I've only looked up, you know, I've read some articles here and there. My assumption was always very similar to what, you know, with Jean Benet, that one of them did something and they were covering it up. But it doesn't seem like there's nearly as much evidence against them as at least I was led to believe there was. Right. Well, again, the media was very critical of them for a long time. Um, uh, there was a, an opinion that, you know, a lot of the footage people got of them, they, they felt like they weren't showing enough emotion, but... Again, you can't tell people how they're supposed to respond to their kid being missing. No. And when you're spending so much time, you know, looking uh, for your child, going through all the stuff they're going through, you're going to just appear drained most of the time, I think. Right. You know, and that, I think that could appear as emotionless as well. Did but, they do anything weird, like say the Ramseys did, like hire a PR firm? Did they do anything out of the out of the ordinary for somebody who mm-hmm. had a child missing? No, they they did hire private investigators to look into the case, but they didn't. Well, hire that, that's not out of the ordinary. Though. Just about every parent of a missing child does that. Yeah. No. They they um they did have some people working with them that would like make statements and stuff, but it wasn't really. A, it was just friends of theirs. Like they try to get away, and then the people would say, "Oh, they are leaving the country now," because you know, they didn't. Okay, so they didn't like, but they didn't hire like a law firm with no. the sole purpose of feeding stories to the media. No, they didn't. And let's let's not forget they were constantly going back to Portugal, looking for Maddie, trying to find answers. You know, cooperating with police constantly. You know, they they weren't. They didn't seem to be acting like people that were trying to cover something up. And let's not forget. Yeah, why would you go back? Like after you were able to leave, if you were guilty, mm-hmm. why go back? Well, let's not forget, too, that they're the ones that got the media involved so heavily to begin with. Right. So if you are covering something up, why would you want the media involved to bring more attention to it? 
See that that's another thing that is in sharp contrast to how the Ramses behaved, right? They mm-hmm. they didn't want media attention unless right. it was completely on their terms. Mm-hmm. And another case that we covered where something similar uh, was the Dior Kuntz case. Now we don't right. know that but Dior's yeah, parents... they, they still declined uh, several different interviews on you know major network television. So it's right. it's strange. And you know, like there, especially at the beginning. Um, the McCanns were just jumping at the opportunity to get on, you know, national or, you know, international television to bring attention to this. Yeah, uh, that that's completely different than the behavior of some of the other parents that I've suspected. But like I said, I, I can't completely rule it out. Those, the cadaver dog does make me wonder, right? Yeah, no question. But I will say that to me, the the biggest evidence that the McCanns were not guilty is the fact that there's a new suspect and the amount of evidence that I've seen against him really makes, you know, makes my attention swing toward him and away from the McCanns. Um, I've seen and, some articles, but I don't even know who the, I don't even know what the guy's name is. Right. So, well, let's talk about him now. His name is Christian Bruckner. And, um, lately in the last, you know, year, year and a half, um, it seems that public opinion is really shifting away from Kate and Jerry and shifting toward Bruckner as the most likely suspect for this. Um, in the, the evidence multiple, pretty convincing, at least what we have. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But like, I, will, I will say, though, multiple investigators have said that Bruckner is the strongest lead this case has ever had. Uh, there's a German prosecutor named Hans Christian Volter. Mm-hmm. He's handling this case. And uh, in an interview of 60 Minutes, he said, quote, we have strong evidence that Madeline McCann is dead and that our suspect killed her. And then in another quote with the same interview, 60 Minutes, we have enough evidence to say that our suspect killed Madeline McCann. Right. I mean, so that's- it's interesting. You know, to be fair, I, I'm, I don't exactly know how Germany's justice system works, to be clear, but. Being from America, I'm I'm highly skeptical of any of any comments coming from prosecutors. No, I understand. Like, that. I take them with a grain of salt. I'm not accusing prosecutors of lying, you know, universally, but you know, I have my well, doubts every time. Anytime they speak, I will say, um, as far as Germany goes, they, they have some very strange laws about what their prosecutors can and can't say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not actually able to say the man's name. He he would call him Christian B. He couldn't say his last name. That's uh, weird. And also, there's just a lot of details that they can't give out, according to German law. But let's go into what we do know about Bruckner. Um, Bruckner was uh, convicted of child abuse in Germany. And he left Germany before he would he could serve his sentence. He, he moved to Portugal to get away from that. And that's in 1995. Okay. Now, Bruckner was living just over a kilometer away from the apartments that the McCann's were renting where Madeline went missing. Um, Two years before Maddie's disappearance, Bruckner raped a 72 year old woman just minutes away from that apartment. Did you say 72? Yeah. 72 year old woman. Yes. Uh, He also beat her uh, very severely. Um, He, uh, he tied her up. And over a period of several hours, he raped her and beat her with a metal rod. It was very brutal. So this is clearly a very sick man. Very sick. Very sick man. 
And again, convicted child molester as well. Right, yeah. Uh, now, in 2006 in Portugal, he was arrested for theft. And when he was arrested, he refused to give them the address of his residence in Portugal. Uh, he just told them, you know, he, he didn't have a home, right? It was, obviously, he was lying to them. Um, and he actually called a German friend of his from the prison to have him go out to his house and get rid of all his computers and hard drives, flash drives, everything like that. I'm assuming he had some sort of child pornography or something on there or something incriminating. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit about where they found a bunch of this stuff. But yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. Um, now, according to uh, another friend of Bruckner's, um, he had talked several times about wanting to build a dungeon underneath his house in Praia de Luge. Excuse me? Yeah. He actually based it on the Josef Fritzl case. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with that case, but I know I've mentioned it to you before. Yeah, I know you've talked about it a couple yeah. of times, but I, I, I know very little about it. Well, Fritzl was an Austrian that built a dungeon underneath his house and trapped his teenage daughter in it and kept her there for years and actually fathered several children with her. Right, and, okay, I remember that story now. Yeah, yeah completely, completely unbeknownst to his wife that lived upstairs. His Which daughter seems really upstairs. weird. Yeah. It was, yeah, really, 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 really weird. But I, I don't want to get off topic there. But but he had actually mentioned specifically Josef Fritzl when talking about this dungeon he wanted to build. So did his friend not think this was weird? Uh, well, yeah, he did think it was weird, but... You know, he didn't report it until after Madeleine McCain went missing and people are talking about it all over the media, right? I mean, I I don't really know how I'd respond to that if my friend told me he wanted to build a murder dungeon. Well, he didn't I mean, say he murder hasn't dungeon. He technically done anything right. yet, so yeah. it seems like it'd be difficult to call the police, but at the same time, well, you it's know, a murder dungeon, which seems kind of weird. I, I agree, right? But I would say a lot of these people knew that Bruckner was into some strange stuff anyway, if they were his friends, right? But I don't know. I don't want to speculate on why his friends didn't say anything or what his friends were into, right? He, he may have had something on his friends. You don't know, right? Yeah, fair enough. Now, uh, also according to Volters, Bruckner's phone uh, made a call just outside of the Ocean Club during the window of time uh, in which Maddie was thought to be abducted. So they can tie him to the crime scene or at least the general vicinity? Yes. Yes, they can. That's um, interesting. There were multiple sightings of someone acting suspicious around the Ocean Club in the days before Maddie's abduction. They fit and his description anyway? They do fit his description. As a matter of fact, there were e-fits made from these descriptions. And then uh, there were actually, when those went on TV several years later, uh, people were calling in, giving tips on Bruckner based on those e-fits. But what's an e-fit? Just well, an e-fit is, uh, yeah, sorry, I should describe that. It's uh, sort of like a composite drawing that someone does, but it's done electronically where they just take different pieces, like a nose that looks like this. They say this is the nose, and they put gotcha. it on the face, right? Gotcha. But that's what an e-fit is. Okay. So it's just um, a, like an electronic composite. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, now, uh, one of these sightings actually describes a blonde man uh, with a camper van that was acting suspicious very close to the McCann's apartment. Does he have a camper van? Yes. He drove a VW camper van that matched that description. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty uh, damning. Yes. Uh, now, another friend of Bruckner's later tipped off authorities 
that Bruckner had drunkenly admitted that he knew what happened to Maddie. Oh. So, I mean, now we have a direct tie. Yes. Yes, we do. Do we know uh, when this was? Was it uh, close in time to when Maddie went missing? Was it years later? Or? Uh, this, as far as I know, this was years later when he, he admitted this drunkenly. Yeah, to, to his friends. I, I don't know what it was. I just know he was supposed to have been drunk and, and did admit that. And that, that friend did call in and tip off authorities as well. Uh, now, the day after Maddie's disappearance, Bruckner deregistered a uh, car that he had there in Portugal. And just a few days after that, he left Portugal and went back to Germany after he'd been living in Portugal for 10 years, Ten years. to stay away from Germany. So something happened that made him go back to the country where he was, uh, what was it he was wanted for? Or was about uh, child molestation. Yeah. Just a few days after Maddie disappeared. I mean, you have to wonder what makes somebody go back to a place where they're wanted for child molestation all of a sudden. Yes. Uh, now, we now know that Bruckner committed at least 20 burglaries around Praia de Luge. He almost always targeted houses that were or apartments that you were on the first floor that mm-hmm. had a window that was easy to get into. Now, he may have remember, known about the, the practice of the, uh, the staff at that, what was that place called? Uh, the Ocean Club. He may have known about their tendency to leave the windows unlocked, too. Yeah. Well, there's actually a, a, a theory among several people that he was probably tipped off that the McCanns were leaving their children in their rooms as well. Um, for one, uh, when the McCanns made their reservations or when the group made their reservations, uh, they actually told the people at the tapas restaurant that they wanted uh, to have a table that was as close as possible to their rooms because they were leaving their children in their rooms. But right? who would have tipped him off, though? Well, possibly someone that was working at that restaurant. That, that's just a theory that people are passing around. You know, I, I can't say there's any proof Is of that. Is the notion that they did it intentionally or just like through conversation he got it out of them? Uh, I mean, do they think he had an accomplice? Is that That's what I'm asking. Basically. They think there was an accomplice. Now, the, the accomplice may have just been hanging around and heard overheard that. But they assume that that phone call that he made right around that time was an accomplice tipping him off that they were at the restaurant. Now, again, there's, there's, I don't have any proof of this, but that is a working theory that a lot of people are talking about. I mean, about. I suppose it's feasible. Though, I mean, I, but, you know, just like with the last guy, I'm skeptical of drawing any conclusions from just a, a phone call, you know, in a, at a suspicious time, right? Yeah, I, I understand but combined that. combined with everything else, yeah, it, it looks pretty bad for this guy. Right. Well, and, and, and we can't say that that was the case. I mean, for all we know, he, he, you know, he did commit burglaries. He could have just been trying to burglarize this place and, and found a child in there. Right. And with yeah. him being a rapist, we don't know. Um, now, we mentioned uh, that rape of the 72 year old woman yeah. um, uh, in Pride Luge. Uh, I should also mention that in that case, he did go in through a first floor window. And when he committed that rape, uh, also in 2004, an Irish woman named Hazel Behan or Behan. I'm, I'm really not sure how that's pronounced. Uh, she was raped in her first floor apartment near Pride Luge uh, by a suspect that she now believes to be Bruckner. Now that she's seen his photo. Uh, and in that case, he entered through a first floor window. So this could have been a pattern of his. Yeah, it, it does seem to be a pattern. Yeah. Did she have a rape kit or anything done at the time? 
I honestly do not know. I don't know. I do know that she has said she believes it was Bruckner now that she's seen the photo, but I don't have any uh, information about, you know, the DNA or anything like that. I was just curious if they had any way, way to conclusively tell. Yeah, I, I'd like to know as well, but I think it's probably part of that ongoing investigation, so we, we can't really know about it right now. Yeah. Now, in, uh, in 2018, he was extradited to Germany from Italy on some drug charges and then uh he was also once he was in germany was convicted of raping that 72 year old woman and at that point you know they're starting to connect the dots on bruckner and they're starting to think you know he's probably involved with madeline mccann's uh, disappearance because the german authorities have put together a lot of pieces of information about him about his habits and things he's done right mm-hmm. uh that seem to fit this now Going through his computer, authorities uh, found some conversations he had in pedophilia chat rooms about fantasies that he had of taking a young girl and raping and killing her. And he was, you know, very specific oh. in things he said in that chat room about how he would just take this girl and use her for days and days. And it was it was very sickening. That's disgusting. Yeah. Did he have any like? A seemingly unhealthy interest in the Madeleine McCann case. Any searches? Um, that not of not according to anything I know of right now. But there is a we lot of information have, that, yeah. that, that they haven't released. Um, he did have obviously had a very unhealthy, uh, you know, interest in young girls. Um, he yeah, did, I think that's obvious. Yeah, well, a, a girlfriend of his named Nure Ozgin. Ozgin. I'm not sure how to pronounce that last name. I'm very sorry. Uh, she dated him for three months. She said that she left him because of his growing obsession with young Croatian girls that he took to swingers parties with him. She didn't elaborate on how young these Croatian girls were. Uh, she said that he, uh, had a kiosk near a local school and he sold things like candy and refreshments there. And he often sold to young school children. And she said that he started taking, you know, very noticeable interest in these young schoolgirls that he was talking to and selling stuff to from that kiosk. So again, yeah, I you know, understand why why she was out. Yeah, uh, and again, unhealthy obsession with these young girls. You don't know what he could have been planning with these schoolgirls. You know, and he's selling candy at a kiosk. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that kind of screams pedo. Yeah, but let's uh, let's continue. Uh, as I said, you know, authorities were. were looking into him and they found out that he owned an abandoned factory and they go and search this abandoned factory and they found his dead dog buried there and buried with that dead dog is a plastic bag filled with hard drives and flash drives. And we know what was on that shit. We know it's filled with videos and pictures of child pornography, and sex Ugh. crimes that he committed. Um, we don't know specifically if there are any pictures or videos of Maddie in that, mm-hmm. though the way that the prosecutor talked, okay, the prosecutor actually said in the 60 Minutes interview that he was not able, he was not allowed to say whether there were or were not pictures of Madeline McCann 
found on those hard drives. Huh. I don't feel like he would have made that statement if there weren't pictures of Maddie on the hard drives. That seems reasonable. Right. Unless he's also allowed from definitively saying no. Right? That, that, it, it, it could just be the, the case that he has to say something neutral. That's that's possible. But um, it could also mean that there are pictures of Maddie there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, now, also on that property was a camper that he owned. It wasn't the VW camper van. It was actually a full-size camper. And inside of that camper, they found little girl swimsuits. Oh. Which Were is... Were they able to match them to any... disturbing. Not that I know of, but then again, with this being an ongoing investigation, that's probably not something we'd have information on. Yeah. So, whether he killed Maddie or not, this guy's going away for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He definitely he he's currently serving time for that rape and the drug charges, and it seems that they're preparing a case against him. Uh, I cannot find anything where charges have been you know laid against him yet, mm-hmm. though you know I'm sure they're just trying to get their ducks in a row so they can do this properly. I mean, the right? implication definitely seems to be that the charges are coming. Right now. Also, if you kind of infer from the prosecutor's statements of how they have evidence that makes them believe Maddie is dead, and it, and they have evidence to the point they feel like they can say that Bruckner killed her, it seems to be there has to be some kind of evidence on those hard drives. Yeah, and that's interesting because they specifically said evidence that she's dead and not yes. that he abducted her. Right, that she's dead. That, that that's interesting. That does seem like they have something that they just haven't shared yet. Right. Just saying that means that there has to be some kind of evidence to show that she's dead, and it, it's probably pointing toward Bruckner. The, and the only thing I can think of, unless there's some kind of evidence that we don't have any clue about, is it's got to be something on those hard drives. But this, I mean, to me, like all this evidence that I've just explained about Bruckner, it it really seems to me it's hard to believe that he didn't do this. I mean, what are the odds of a random, you know, pedophile being in the exact area at that time? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Also, you've got to think, if there was a sex offender registry, you know, like a European-wide one, where he was registered and they knew he lived there, right? They could have gone to him and checked, you know, the next day. Immediately. Though, would he have been on any sort of Portugal list, though? Probably not at the time because you know, th- there weren't even records of him being in Portugal. But let's just say, you know, they were tracking that and knew they, they could have checked into him, right? But it's, you know, it's so hard to say, you know, if they hadn't made this misstep or that misstep. You know, a lot of criticism that the Portuguese authorities got over this is that they really got tunnel vision on people. Like at first it was on Murat, you know, and then on right. the McCanns, right? And if they hadn't been so focused on trying to make a case against them, they could have been really investigating and trying to find out what happened. And they probably, you know, missed out on a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's it's unfortunate, but it's it's kind of common with investigations. You know, that happens. You know, and when you're investigating a crime like that, you have to be very diligent not to get tunnel vision. Right. To form, you know, let your preconceptions lead you instead of following the evidence. Right. Um, you, I mentioned earlier that Amaral was, was removed from the case, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he actually was removed because he criticized the UK authorities that were involved in the investigation. He, he accused them of 
only investigating the leads the McCanns wanted them to investigate. Do you know if there was any truth to that at all? I, well, it seems to me that they wanted, the McCanns wanted them to investigate all the leads that weren't them, right? Right. Because the Portuguese authorities were basically for ages just looking into the McCanns, mm-hmm. right? So, of course, he's going to disagree with them about that because he's tunnel visioning on the McCanns and they're looking at all these other leads. So that kind of statement really shows me, you know, for one, what kind of attitude uh, the lead investigator for the Portuguese authorities has about the McCanns. Mm-hmm. He's, he's so sure at the time they're guilty. And then, you know, they're not getting along with other investigative agencies that are working on this, especially because... They're looking at other leads that aren't the McCanns. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, it, obviously. Now, at, now I at, will say this, that given the evidence he was working with at the time, I can certainly understand why he would have suspected the McCanns. I agree, but that's no excuse not to keep investigating, you know, all leads. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, with a missing toddler like that. You know, you, you early on, you've got to be looking everywhere and turning over every stone. You know, and I, I don't know much about the justice system in Portugal, but it, it seems like it, with that first suspect, with how little evidence they had when they just, how invasive they got, it seems like they don't have a lot of protections, you know, for civil rights there. I'm hoping things have changed there now. If you can dig up somebody's yard mm-hmm. and get their phone records and that sort of thing, just because they ask some, some weird questions to a reporter. Mm-hmm. That's troubling. Well, you know what? I, there is one thing I did not mention. Um, actually, you remember the the Tanner sighting? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Jane Tanner actually did say she thought that could have been Rat that she saw. They did a strange little test. <laughs> so Tanner and a couple of members of the, the JP mm-hmm. sat in a van, and they waited for Marat to walk across the road. And uh, they said, do you think that might be him? And she said, yeah, I think it might be him. And that was yeah, another piece of their weird. evidence. It's weird, and it seems really weak to me. But Obviously, that, that, honestly, that, that is much better. Because that's not, that's not that different from like a traditional police lineup. And, you know, just getting identified in a police lineup gives the authorities, gives the police all manners of authority to investigate you. So that makes a little more sense to me, actually. But it's, it's not a lineup, though, right? It's not a lineup because they were specifically there to look at Marat. And yeah, this that, is not, that's true. It's not remotely scientific, the fact that he's walking across the street. Is he going to be walking the same way he was when he was carrying that child? You know, is is he going to be walking the same way as he was when he was trying to not be noticed walking with his child is when he's just strolling across the street. Yeah, you're right. I didn't really think that through. Though I will say that it's at least a little better because at least they had somebody else saying that, you know, at least they could tie him to a siding at this point rather than just going on what he said to a journalist. I guess so, but I feel like it was just them trying to find anything they could so that they could... Oh, yeah, they were obviously reaching. Yeah, tear this guy's life apart and try to find evidence. But given the scenario, I understand why they would have been desperate. Obviously, yeah, there's a huge amount of media attention. There's pressure to, you know, find out who did this, but, (laughs) I mean, it obviously wasn't him. And, you know, they zeroed in on him with no evidence, and it took them a long time to clear him. 
a, a very long time. So, I mean, was there anybody else considered? I mean, it seems to me that the this Bruckner guy is a, is a excellent uh, excellent suspect. But anybody else worth mentioning? Not really. They they had a few other people they looked into and sort of followed around, but there was never any evidence for them. Uh, Bruckner is really the the Bruckner and the McCanns are really the only real suspects that were ever viable. I mean, it just, it seems like a stretch to me that there could be an innocent explanation for a pedophile that wanted a murder dungeon in his house just to, just to happen to have been there. I his, his presence is, is really suspicious. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Now, again, I can't completely rule out Kate and Jerry. I don't think they did it. Those cadaver dog hits, they they really stick for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're, like they're troubling, just, no question. It seems like there's just a mountain of at least circumstantial evidence against Bruckner, and it seems like they have something close to a smoking gun. Now, Walter said they didn't have any forensic evidence, but it's probably because they don't have a body. Mm-hmm. But you know, they've got something, or you know, they they have to have something, or they wouldn't say they're they're fairly certain that Maddie's dead. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree. Though, again, you have to be very careful with, uh, you know, the, what prosecutors say, particularly when they're talking to the media. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take that much more seriously when they actually bring charges. I will too, and I'm really hoping that happens because I'm, I'm excited to, to get answers and let's get some kind of justice here, right? Yeah, that, that that'd be great. That doesn't always work out in the cases we look at. No. And I mean, we're know, not going to get a happy ending with this one because, you know, obviously it seems very likely Maddie is dead. But, you know, next best thing is figuring out exactly who did it and giving the parents some closure. There are some people that, you know, will still argue that she may be alive. Um, that seems unlikely to me, but. Well, if you were to watch that Netflix documentary, they they, they end it trying to say that. There have been so many cases of, you know, trafficking and abduction where the person has has shown up alive at the end. They were found alive and okay at the Did end. Did any of them have such a an apparent like bodily feature? I, I don't know what that eye condition was called, but it no. seems like to me that'd be hard to miss. I completely There would have been agree. some sighting of her if she were still alive. I completely agree. And you also have the fact that these cases are really outliers, you know? It, yeah, yeah. It's just really uncommon for these kind of missing persons cases that, that last for so many years for for that for those people to, I mean, to show up so long. Forget years. I mean, usually if a missing person's gone more than 72 hours, they're dead. Yeah, yeah. Much less years. Right. I mean, wh- who was that? Elizabeth Smart, isn't she the, the girl that she'd been... Mm-hmm. I've been captured. I, I forget exactly how that went, but she was the one that was found years later. Right? Yes, yes, she was. She'd been like in that guy's like shed, I believe it was. Yeah, that's that's extremely rare. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 so rare. But like I said, like like some people still have hope. I I'm not holding out, especially after you know the the prosecutor saying that. It makes me think there's some kind of evidence she's dead. Don't know for sure. But yeah. Is Madeline McCann still alive? I doubt it. In many cases of kidnapping and trafficking, it's certainly true that victims turn up many years later. But these cases are rare. 
For years, many people believed that Maddie's parents were guilty of at least covering up her death. I can't rule this out. However, in the last two years, the news of Christian Bruckner being named a suspect seems to have turned the tide of opinion. While she may not be alive, there is now new hope that we may soon have answers. Thank you for listening to Fact and Suspicion. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to suggest a case for us to cover, or if you have any feedback for us, we'd love for you to reach out to us through email at factandsuspicion at gmail.com or through Twitter at andsuspicion. Also, if you're listening to us on YouTube, please like and subscribe, and we'd love for you to share these episodes with anyone you think may be interested.